Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Football is 2-0 after dominating wins over Colgate and Western Michigan, and there are storylines aplenty to dissect from both games. Hello, everybody. Welcome into this Friday Fizz 5 alongside Adam Gotkin. I'm Liam Griffin. Adam, we're teaming up for the first time on one of these Fizz 5s. You ready to get the ball rolling? Oh, I'm so ready, LG. This is exciting. This is very exciting, but unfortunately, what's not exciting is topic number one. Number one. We begin today by addressing the elephant in the room, Aronde Gadsden. The tight end went down after his first catch against Western Michigan with an apparent lower body injury and never came back. We haven't heard much about his status. What we do know, Adam, is that it's the opposite leg from what was hampering him towards the end of training camp. But Garrett Trader and Dino Babers both said after their win over the Broncos that it's a case of we hope to have him back, but we're not sure if we will. And we probably won't even know a smidget about it until an hour before game time because that's simply how this program operates. It'll be interesting. I, I can say this. I have a little bit of inside info on Aronde Gatson. I passed him walking around campus the other day. He was in a boot and crutches. He wasn't putting any weight whatsoever on the injured leg. It was completely, you know, all the weight on that other foot while he was wearing the crutches. So it, it's a little bit concerning. I'm a little bit worried and you know, we'll see if he ends up playing, but from what I saw there, if he can't even walk, it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, interesting would be an understatement, Adam, because I look at Syracuse's receiving core, yeah, they've shown a lot of flashes over the first few weeks of the season. You know, I look at guys like Donovan Brown, Umari Hatcher, Kendall Long, guys that have sort of come onto the scene out of nowhere, but none of them, and none of them can even come close to replacing Gadsden's physical nature. I mean, you have a Six four, six foot five, tight end who is athletic as heck and can go up and grab those jump balls the ways that the other receivers on the team simply cannot. It's very, very frustrating to see it happen so early, especially against an opponent like Western Michigan. You know, Dino Babers got a lot of flack for putting Sean Tucker out at after halftime against Wagner last year, and rightfully so. But this is a situation that was out of control. You don't want to not play him, especially right after you go down seven nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Francesco and I were talking about this, I think, two weeks ago now, about who the most important player for Syracuse is. It's Aronde Gatson because oh. the offense revolves around him. Yeah, of course, you have Garrett Trader, who's a dual-threat quarterback, but you lose that one threat, I feel like, when you lose Aronde Gatson because he just adds so much to your offense. And you mentioned those other receivers, and look, they've looked solid so far. They've looked solid against the number twos, the number threes. Wow, Aronde Gatson's getting double covered, and he's the main focus. So now when all the focus is on Donovan Brown, who I think everyone who follows the Fizz knows that I love because I went to high school with him. Uh, you have Donovan Brown, he's look good. You have Isaiah Jones, they've looked good, but they haven't been the main focus. Now that they are, are they going to be able to create separation if they're going against double teams? It completely changes things. Yeah, that brings us to our next topic regarding... Mr. Gadsden, if he cannot play against Purdue, who do you rely on to step up? You know, do you throw the load on Damian Alford, who has shown flashes in the past, and everyone was talking about how he's 
a number the number two this season. That drop against Western Michigan in the first quarter, unacceptable. You're wide open right by the goal line, not a defender in sight. Butterfingers like Wes Welker in the 2012 Super Bowl against the Giants. That <laughs> that cannot that can't happen under any circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're playing in the national championship game or if you're up by 50 against a run-of-the-mill team. That, under no circumstances, can happen. In terms of who's going to step up, Adam, I think it's got to be a group effort, right? Aronde Gadsden and Garrett Schrader, and to a lesser extent, Dino Babers, all pegged before the season that this was a group that had a ton of breakout candidates, right? So I don't really think you can put all the onus on one guy and have him come in just like that and burst onto the scene and put up Gadsden-level numbers against the Boilermakers team that doesn't have the best pass defense but is still going to be a challenge, especially given that it is on the road in primetime. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be really, really loud. It's going to be tough for the offensive line. It's going to be tough for Garrett Trader to even think. Looks like they're trending towards a sellout in West Lafayette. The, the main thing you were kind of saying is it has to be that group who steps up. I think the guy who has to step up is LaQuint Allen. All the talk with him is that he's going to be able to do so much in the passing game. That's where a lot of the preview was on Allen coming into this season. He hasn't done anything so far, and now I, I, it didn't feel like Dino was really targeting him at all. Maybe he was trying to hide something coming into these Power 5 matchups, but I need LeQuinn Allen to step up, and also I feel like now's the time for either Dan Villari or Max Ming to show, hey, look, we can actually do something in the passing game as well. We're not just blocking tight ends. It can't just be the receivers. Yeah, this was... With LaQuint Allen, you talk about a guy who came onto the scene in the pinstripe bowl, has double-digit cap- ca- uh, catches, breaks Marvin Harrison's record for single-game catches in a postseason game for Syracuse, and then he just he hasn't done a whole lot in the past game. Again, it may be to your point, you know, what is Dino Babers trying to hide? Is he trying to keep that under wraps so when you start playing against these higher-caliber opponents, you start to get the ball rolling? But... There's been so much hype around Dan Valari really since he transferred from Michigan and switched positions, you know, can he be that secret weapon? I, I haven't seen it yet. And Max Mang, I think you get what you're going to get. He's he's a blocking tight end, and that's just the truth of the matter. But there is one issue with Max Mang that I take, and this feels like a transition to topic number two, recapping Western Michigan, because the issue that I have stemming from Mr. Mang comes from that game. Number two. It's all pretty on the box score, right? Syracuse takes down Western Michigan 48-7. to Not even close was the game. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Adam, penalties continue <laughs> to be an issue. I'm bring, I'll bring up Max Mang since I alluded to it earlier in the show. He has an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that goes for 15 yards. Those are the type of penalties that as a fan, media member, I don't care what capacity in which you are viewing the game, you're scratching your head and driving yourself crazy. But that That's just unacceptable. It, it, it's bad. It's really bad. I mean, this was the most penalized team in the country last year. They come back, and right now they're, they're the 114th least, so I can't do that math, whatever. 133 minus 114 14th is. Whatever it is, they've committed a lot of penalties. Nine per game through the first two weeks. I mean, come on. This this is unacceptable. 
At what point do you say enough is enough? And and it's these false starts and it's, it's these returning players. Gr- Chris Bleich! I mean, come on, you're a veteran. You're playing at home in an empty stadium and you're getting multiple false starts in the first half in back-to-back games? It's just It's unbelievable. This has been a staple of Dino Baber's time at Syracuse. He's been... It's the fundamental things that separate teams and coaches between good and great. His inability to manage the clock, and as we're seeing on full display this year, his inability to keep a disciplined football team. And right from the jump, Adam, Jalen Buckley takes one 75 yards to the house, putting a scare in the dome crowd. You know, I get it. Big plays are going to happen. Big plays should never, ever, 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 ever happened 30 seconds into the game. You just, It comes down to a lack of preparation, right? You have to come out of the locker room ready to play. Rocky Long's defense was anything but. I, I was talking to people about this, and a lot of the people that I was talking to about this play were saying, it's the first play. They bounced back, and they outscored them 48 to nothing after that. My big issue was, you're going to let Western Michigan create that big of a hole against your defense? I mean that's a small offensive line. You're gonna you're gonna allow that to happen, and and exactly that's right. That's how you're gonna start a game. You're going into Purdue next week. That place is gonna be rocking. You gotta you gotta wake up at the start of the game, and that that all comes down to coaching. Like you just said, it's Dino Papers not being able to start the game strong, having stupid penalties. It, it's just it's 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 unreal, and I, I hate being so negative about a forty-eight to seven scoreline, but at the same time. This is what should have happened. This is exactly what should have happened. And you look up and down the field, there were plenty of plays that were made. I look at the Jason Simmons pick six. I look at Donovan Brown's long touchdown, among other things. You still are seeing some new faces develop as you try to fill the holes left by Tucker and Bergeron on the offensive end. On the defensive end, that secondary is still decimated. But you've had a lot of big moments from players that you look at before the season this guy needs to step up. That guy needs to step up. And that's all in good, but Adam, the time for tests is over. Now you're going into Purdue, West Lafayette in week three. It is going to be a tough matchup. But dissecting more into this game, I want to hit on a positive note. Garrett Trader looked phenomenal once again. And the big thing that's sticking out to me with him is, is that over in 2021 and 2022, there was much more of a desire and angst to scramble when it came to Garrett Trader. That's not the case anymore. There, Sure, there are still some designed run plays, but he's not being so unhesitant, for the lack of a better word, to take off and run with it like he has been in years past. If he doesn't see anybody open downfield, that's another thing, and he can make a play happen, and he's done that over the first two games. But there isn't as much need to run as there has been in years past. And Adam, I think that's worn him down in the past. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has. And it's a good sign to see him stand in the pocket a little bit more. But, you know, my worry is he wasn't really facing much pressure and he was able to sit in a clean pocket throughout most of Colgate and throughout most of Western Michigan. Throw the Purdue defensive line. Throw, you know, your Clemson and your Florida State and your UNC defensive lines that are coming up next. And is that going to change? Like, I, I feel like... I struggle so much to take anything away from those first two matchups because they did exactly what they were supposed to do. All you have to do is put a team picture of Syracuse next to a team picture of Western Michigan and Colgate, and you look at the game of football and you say, okay, these guys are bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, these guys are going to win. And that's what's happened. Garrett Schrader didn't face any pressure, so okay, he didn't run that much, and 
I bet Judino Babers was saying, look, don't do anything stupid. Yeah, I agree. You can't really take a whole lot from these games. But at the same time, anytime you outscore two opponents in succession, 113 to 7, it's quite impressive. That being said, it's a much, much, much tougher task to do it against Purdue than it is to do it against an FCS school that went 3-8 and eight last year and a group of five schools. So there was a lot to like from the Western Michigan game, but there was a lot that you need to nip in the butt right here, right now, and get out of the system before you head into ross State Stadium Week 3. We'll be back talking about the football team in a minute, but we'll step onto the, onto the hardwood for topic number three. Number three. There were good news, or there has been good news when it comes to Syracuse men's basketball recruiting. There really has with... Moore and Freeman coming in, you still want more. And unfortunately, you couldn't get a crack at that this week. Jaleel Bethay canceling his visit in all likelihood, headed to a conference rival in Miami. Adam, I'm not saying this is an end-all, be-all, but when you have a guard-style player in Elijah Moore and a big man in Donnie Freeman, you want a wing to sort of round off the group. Bethay provided an excellent opportunity at that. We couldn't get it done, though. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit frustrating, and it's NIL. It's as simple as that. He's going to go to Miami, and he's going to make, we can, I think, say at least 500000 probably. We don't know exactly how much, but he's going to be making a lot of money, and that's that's college sports nowadays, and, yeah. and that's what it is when you lose Adam Weitzman, and we don't need to get into that whole fiasco that went down back in the spring, but, I mean, you lose Weitzman and you lose your big NIL money. They're trying with this new collective that just came out, but it's going to take a while if that can ever compete against Miami. And that's what it is. And it has to be because the talk all along was Kansas or Syracuse for this kid. It was it was Syracuse number one, it looks like. Kansas is in there. And then he's interested in Bama. He's interested in Miami. And then out of, out of nowhere, Trilly Donovan tweets out, Oh, he's canceling his visit to Syracuse. Looks like it's Miami. Then he DMs someone on Instagram and says, oh, I'm not canceling my visit. And then the next day, the report comes out from a, I think it was someone from The Athletic that says, oh, he is canceling it. It was just, it's crazy. It made no sense. But this is college basketball now, and we just got to get used to it, I think. It's it's sad. Yeah, recruiting is unpredictable. NIL and all that has made it even more so, and the mass exodus that comes from the transfer portal, but I look at this and I think to myself, why Miami? Yes, it is a fantastic basketball program. Some would even call the Hurricanes a quote-unquote new blood in college basketball given their recent success. That may be pushing it a little bit, but what sets out Miami, specifically the men's basketball program, from so many other schools? The Hurricanes have been top-notch when it comes to NIL, much to Jim Beheim's displeasure, as he voiced last February. And if you're going to get those opportunities, I look at Isaiah Wong, among others, who has made a has made a bank playing down there through NIL. So you really you can't blame the guy for going to where's best for his future. But from a Syracuse perspective, it's incredibly disappointing. You wanted to round out the class. You thought you had momentum with Moore and Freeman. But I don't want to say it's completely stalled at him, but... Boy, it is a roller coaster ride. And I am a little bit worried. This this is this is one thing that's worrying me when it comes to Syracuse basketball recruiting. It's who they're getting and who their stars are. 
we're not getting any big men. Donnie Freeman is your top, like, I mean, he's, he's a big guy. I, I, I've called many of his games. I've seen Donnie Freeman play in person a, a ton. He's a big guy, but he's a wing. He, he's not going to be someone down low. And, you know, Bethea wasn't this, but at the same time, Syracuse isn't in the mix for any of these top big men. And that's something that hasn't been talked about with Syracuse recruiting. And I, I'm worried about that. They're getting these guards. They might get Kyan Anthony in the 2025 class, but they got to go after some more bigs because you can't just get guard after guard after guard. I mean, it, I, I worry. I think that's more of a long-term it, it is a long-term Because it's a long-term thing as opposed to a short-term thing because you look at the roster for this upcoming season. How many seniors is this roster slated to have? You can't see it, but I'm holding up a zero right now because <laughs> there are none. So when I look at that, I think to myself, okay, maybe they don't need to stockpile in the class of 2024. Assuming you lose Mintz and Starling to the draft, you bring in Moore and Freeman, you make a full send at it come 2025. This is all assuming nobody transfers, which is a major, major assumption in today's college basketball world. But I wouldn't be pressing the panic button quite yet. There's definitely reason for worry, and you should absolutely be angsty about it, but the sky is not falling down. But you're putting so much trust into William Patterson and Peter Carey and and Munir Hima to to be your big men. There there were there were no talks of 2023 or 2024 big men coming to no, Syracuse. He, do, you, do you not have faith in Mahima Cloud? No, he played one good game last year, and that was against Syracuse. He's tall. I'll give him that. I've stood next to him on the bus like 30 times at this point here at Syracuse. He's a tall guy, and for some reason, people won't let him sit. They make him like crouch down just standing in the back, which is a little rude. That's, that, that's not cool. Because he's, cool. he's very tall. But no, I don't have any faith in him. He, he was okay at best at Florida State and had one good game, and it was against Syracuse. So I feel like SU fans think that he, he's this amazing center. I have no faith he, he in him at all. He doesn't need to be an offensive cornerstone, right? He's there to defend, he's there to rebound, he's there to be a semi-decent passer so your guards and wings can get the ball rolling. No one's asking him to fill Jesse Edwards' role, but cycling it back to recruiting, I think the ultimate mantra here is that it stinks, but it's not the end of the world. It's not. It feels like the 2024 class is kind of starting to come to an end now, and you know it's crazy to say that just considering how early it is, but... You know, there's just some guys where you, you wish you had them. You wish that, you know, Boogie Fland, who's a New York native from Harlem, who's, you know, another one of these four-star point guards was looking at you. And Patrick Ngongba, who's a center. He's, he's a five-four star center out of the DMV. And he had really no interest at all in Syracuse. And, you know, it's like that. that's a little bit worrying. You go into 2025, and that's where we really start to look now. The one player who it feels like, oh, he would have been perfect to come to SU, guy from Maine, Cooper Flag, he's got no interest at all. That worries me. Yeah, and what's even more worrisome is that it looks like Cooper Flag is in all likelihood headed for Durham, North Carolina. Of course, of course. Let's get back to the gridiron <laughs> for topic number four. Number four. We talked about the penalties a lot in – when, when we recapped Western Michigan. So I want to toss that to the wayside. Besides penalties, what is the single biggest thing Syracuse football needs to clean up heading into Purdue? Go. Uh, it, it's hard to say outside the penalties. I think I didn't think we were going to talk about it that much earlier. Uh, I, I, I can't – I don't know if – I can't double down on it. Biggest thing they have to clean up, I mean, I feel like we can – Maybe talk a little bit more just about starting games and being disciplined in that sense. And 
stepping up to the moment because you cannot fall behind to Purdue. You can't let that that sold-out student section crowd get into your head because then you're going to get into an issue because, look, Syracuse early in the season last year, they played all these games at home. They had that behind them. Now they don't. They came back against Purdue last year. They had their crowd behind them. They won't have that this year. If they're going to beat Purdue, they got to have a good start, and they got to clean that up this week. I mean, hey, they didn't start well against Colgate. No, it didn't. They did not start well at all against Colgate. They got to clean that up. They got to come out of the locker room ready to play, and if they aren't, that's a big cause for concern. I think my thing is that this is from an offensive, defensive, and special teams look. You have to play better fundamental football, period. You know, you have to – you got to be better catching the ball. I look at Damian Alford. You got to be better tackling. There were multiple instances in both the Colgate and Western Michigan game when I saw a defensive player try to tackle from the shoulders above the waist. That's not good fundamental football because if you tackle above the waist, it's all too easy to spin out of it and waltz into the end zone, right? If you go below the waist, it's much easier to trip a guy up, even if you don't have a firm grip. So it's, it's fundamental football. Catch the ball. Learn how to properly tackle. If Western Michigan and Colgate, I'm sorry, they're not going to punish you for those mistakes. Purdue, Army to a bit of a lesser extent. Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, you can go completely down the line. All of them will punish Syracuse for those mistakes. (laughs) I feel like we're, we're trending towards this Dino Babers hot seat conversation. It's penalties and fundamental football and starting games where they're really struggling. That's bad. I, th- I think <laughs> that's I, all coaching. I, all of that is coaching. Adam, we talked about this yesterday in passing. I think we're, we can't really evaluate Dino Baber's performance through two games solely because you're going up against Colgate and West Michigan. I think it's impossible to evaluate. You know, I see, and I don't mean to jump the gun because our last topic is previewing Purdue. Tomorrow's game could be a turning point in Syracuse's season and Dino Babers' head coaching career at SQ. Because if this season goes south, you're not making a bowl game, Dino Babers is probably no longer working in Central New York. Yep. That's just the truth of the matter. You're looking at a huge game tomorrow, and you have to clean it up. You have you have to, have to, have to come out of the gate well, like you mentioned. You have to play better fundamental football, like I mentioned. And the onus of that falls on Dino Babers. Yeah, it, it does. I, I mean... This is a important game, and they have to be ready for it. They have to step up to the moment. We're going to get a lot more into it later, but you know they got to start off strong. It's a nationally televised game. We'll have a Syracuse alum and Noah Eagle calling it. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a big big one. You know they're teasing it on Sunday Night Football. Everyone's going to be watching. Packed house. You can't go out there and lay an egg. You can't go out there and go three and out or give up a touchdown on the first drive. You just can't do that. And it's as simple as that. I mean, you got to start out strong. I mean, we don't know if there will be another game this season where Syracuse gets this much media attention, at least from a national perspective. I mean, game day's not coming for Clemson. Unless, unless Syracuse, <laughs> if, if Syracuse goes 4 0, I think it's very much possible that game day oh, comes boy. for Clemson. But oh, boy. because the game is on. NBC, not yeah. ESPN, NBC at 7.30 p.m. under the lights. There, is, there aren't much bigger spotlights. This game 
means a lot. Come out well, play better fundamental football. You should be okay. If you want to get our predictions and analysis on this one, check out our crystal ball on at theorangefizz.com and at orangefizz on Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts. Topic number five. Number five. 7.30 p.m., ross Eight Stadium, West Lafayette, Indiana. Syracuse versus Purdue. First thoughts. This is the biggest game of the season. We, we've written a lot of articles about that on orangefizz.com. You just mentioned it. This is the biggest game of the season. This is the turning point, and you have to win it. The Orange are favored. They are favored at a Big Ten team. By multiple points. By multiple points. This is a massive game. You win this, you probably beat Army. You're 4-0 going into Clemson. Maybe you beat Clemson because you have the momentum. And Clemson Clemson doesn't look good. Okay, you're 5-0. Then you're one win away from a bowl game. It's a lock. You lose this game. Army's Army's difficult. They struggled a little bit week one, but hey, they looked really good last week. The offense is starting to come together now that they're no longer playing the triple option. Maybe something happens there, and then boom, you go Clemson, Florida State, UNC. That's that's hard. That's the gauntlet. And then you're deep in ACC playing. You know, we know what happens with Dino Babers in the month of November. This game they need to win if they're going to make a bowl game, I think. I honestly think if they win this game, they're in a bowl game, and there's no question about it. If they lose, I think I think that they don't. I think it's as simple as that. I think they win five games at max. I think a win tomorrow, or yeah, tomorrow, all but ensures that SU gets a bowl game. A loss makes it very, 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 very difficult to rebound. So I look at Purdue's roster. It's fascinating. You got Devin Mockaby, former walk-on, who worked his way up to a scholarship, now Purdue's primary running back. Hudson Card, Texas transfer, had his job stolen from him by Quinn Ewers. Does he have some unlocked potential? Because he got all the hype. Down oh, yeah, the, he does. He got all the hype down in the Lone Star State, but got usurped by a likely top 10 draft pick. Yeah, by the top college, by the top college prospect ever, according to some people. Hudson Card is good. I was, oh, I was referring to Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Were you referring to Arch Manning? No, Quinn Ewers. I feel like people said Quinn Ewers was better than Arch Manning at a... He, didn't he have like a perfect rating on, on two four seven or whatever? I'll admit I don't know a ton about Quinn Ewers recruiting history. He, he was he was. I know I know he was uh, just as highly so, touted as Arch Manning that day. So yeah, he was good. Oh man! So you look at Purdue's defense; their pass defense is less than impressive. They allowed Fresno State to carve them up. They had a much better performance against Virginia Tech, but you have to remember the Hokies are a bottom-tier ACC team this year. So I don't know how much stock you can take from either of those games. I take more stock from Fresno State because you lost at home to a group of five school. Granted, a good group of five a, school. A very good group very, of five program. A very, very good group of five school, but Purdue was a home favorite and couldn't get the job done. Yeah, it, it, their offense does scare me with with Mock. I mean, look, his worst game of the season last year was against Syracuse. Or second worst game of the season was against Syracuse. Just 22 yards if he has a better game, then we run into an issue. And I think that Hudson Card is a really, really, really good football player. I think he's better than Aiden O'Connell was last year for Purdue. I mean, look, he was a starting quarterback at Texas for a reason. And it's because he is that good. You can't just go into Texas and be a starting quarterback there. He's got all the talent in the world. He's got a really good running back. And now, they lost a lot of receivers, but Card is good and it's going to be a challenge for the Syracuse defense. I wouldn't be shocked at all if this game is a shootout. Before we get into 
predictions for the game. I want to quickly flash back to last year's matchup. 10-9 to going into the fourth quarter. Both sides scored three touchdowns apiece. <laughs> it ended up being a case of whoever scored last one. It was Syracuse, Aronde Gadsden, 25 yards from Garrett Schrader. But, Adam, not to sugarcoat what was a classic game, Syracuse did not win that game. Purdue lost that game. Oh, the game penalties. Because of those oh, yeah. penalties. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- those last couple Syracuse touchdown drives were all penalties. If Well, you know, tease it again, orangefizz.com. I wrote an article just the other day just looking back at that game, and it's all penalties. It was all penalties in the fourth quarter that got those Syracuse touchdowns, and I mean, I mean, Purdue turned out being okay last year at the they end. Made the Big Ten title they game. made the Big Ten title game somehow because uh, that 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 part of the Big Ten was just god awful. But they they got a new coach this year, new quarterback. This is a new a new Purdue team, and Dino Babers was talking about that a lot in the press conference of how difficult it is to scout the Boilermakers because you're looking at last year's team because they bring back a decent amount. And you're looking at Louisville and what they did last year because the new coach is the old Louisville offensive coordinator. And you're watching Hudson Card's film at Texas, and piecing it all together is not at all easy. We were in a case last year where Purdue was kicking off from its own 10-yard line. (laughs) And not one but two penalties on third and 10 extended the Syracuse drive before the Orange offense clicked for that now-famous touchdown. And it was one of the best games in all of college football last season. I don't think it's going to be nearly as crazy this Saturday. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Either way, I think we are in for a really exciting matchup. You can find full analysis and expansions of these picks on our Crystal Ball article that's coming out on Friday. But I've got Syracuse 38-28. Purdue 31-21 is what I'm saying right now. That might change by the time we put out the, that crystal ball article, but I think 31-21 is what I'm going to say. Who, know, who knows what kind of a game we are going to get on Saturday, but it should be fun. And, of course, Orange Fizz will have all the content you need leading up to and during the game at Orange Fizz on Twitter. That does it for us. With Adam Gawkin, I'm Liam Griffin. Thanks so much for tuning in, and as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.